Hi there, welcome to Series 2 of the Release the Sound podcast, where we talk all things prophetic worship. I'm Raymond Waterman, and it is my passion to empower, to educate, encourage, and equip you to release a sound of heaven that transforms the communities that you are a part of. So stay tuned, listen to some amazing guests, and be blessed. Thanks for joining me. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Release the Sound podcast. We have a very special guest with us today that I'm very honoured that he said yes to joining this podcast. It is the amazing Daniel Hagen from Awakening Music. And if you haven't heard of Daniel, I'm sure many of you have, but let me just do a little professional blurb to get started so that if you haven't heard about him you can know a little bit more and then you are just going to love what we're going to share today. So 2003, Daniel Hagen radically surrendered his life to Jesus Christ in a powerful encounter that would shake up his world of sex, drugs and rock and roll. Can't even imagine that, Daniel, you like that. But anyway, his heart was overrun with the love of God and his songs began to overflow with his affection for the Father. He was a rising musician and his band was on the verge of scoring a six-figure record deal, but Daniel was too deep in loving with Jesus to go back to this life. And so he immediately walked away from this life of fame and fortune so that he would pursue his true passion, which is knowing the Father more and making him known to the nations. And I love that about you, Daniel. I'm so glad that you did that. A little bit more about Daniel. He's married to Chelsea Hagen. They plant and oversee fire churches in Queensland and Victoria. We love fire church. We have such great relationship with anyone from there. We just love the personality and the flavor of fire church. He's also the associate director of Awakening with Ben Fitzgerald. He's the leader of Awakening Music, whose worship inspires Christians to break free from the fear of man, to live for the one who's worthy of all praise. And Awakening, I mean, in the last 10 years, has actually just become a global movement, not just a movement of radical lovers of Jesus, but passionate worshippers. And I love the events that you run. They're joined by thousands all over the world, but it's not about the numbers. I just love that we're seeing people radically transformed and that you're taking people out into the streets. You're not just keeping it in the church, but you're actually impacting the nation. So Daniel and Chelsea are now on the Sunshine Coast. They left beloved Melbourne, which is a bit sad, (laughs) but it is God's country, isn't it? (laughs) And married with four kids. They're the senior ministers of Fire Church Ministries. Daniel, that was a long blurb, but I had to honour you and say it's awesome to have you. So everybody, big clap in your cars or wherever you're listening to Dan Hagen. It's great to have you, Dan. Well, thank you so much. Roma for having me on the podcast. It's it really is such a a joy, a privilege, an honor. You have been such a forerunner. I um, mean, the way that you bring in prophetic and an author and just doing so many things to impact our nation and the nations. And I remember as a new Christian, there were two people that um, people would talk about in the Christian worship scene, and one was Darlene Check, and another one was Roma Waterman. And um, yes, a real privilege to uh, oh, yeah. be of this right now with you. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. Well, I was five when I started. Let's make sure everybody knows that so they know that I'm only 21. But thank you for the very kind words, Dan. And um, same, I'm totally inspired by you and and how you are 
leading the worship movement. I'm always really fascinated, and this is why I wanted to have you on the podcast. I'm really fascinated with global worship movements. I think sometimes they get really big and kind of fall off the rails. Other times they are grounds roots. I feel like what awakening has done is you have become global, but you've kept that global or you've kept that roots um, feel, which is really unique. And the reason why I wanted to interview is because it, it appears to me that a lot of global moves of God have a sound attached to it. And if that's the case, then I think we need to be mindful of that and go, well, hang on a minute. The sound is really important, eh, to what God is doing on the earth. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts around that. I'm just throwing you in the deep end with a very deep question right there. I totally agree, Roma. And um, not only do I love worship and music, I also love revival and revival history. And if we look at you know, things historically in terms of moves of God, um, there's always been a sound connected to it. Or in, I would say, at least in most cases, there's always been a sound connected to it. Some immediate examples that I think about is something probably fresh on all our minds right now is the Jesus people movement. You know, recently about the movie, The Jesus Revolution, which was huge in the States and also right around the world, but they would term that movement the, the Jesus music um, because it was a big part of the revival that spread right across North America and, and touched the nations. And, you know, I think of some of my heroes, like even someone like a Keith Green that got saved during that time and and his music was made such an impact and still making an impact on people's lives today. Um, and we go back further when you look at the Salvation Army and, you know, William and Catherine Booth were just generals and pioneers and apostolic people, but they understood the importance of worship and how the message connected with music. And um, it's said that they would use some of the tavern songs, you know, uh, some of the modern songs of the time and put Christian lyrics to it. They weren't afraid to sort of experiment with different genres, which I think is pretty cool. And um, and I was just recently reading about the Wesley brothers and, you know, they're, they're also phenomenal men of God and and they penned something like 6,500 or at least 6,500 hymns or songs. And it was all about framing the message through music. So they would preach and, you know, the famous stories of them getting kicked out of some of the, the churches at the times they'd have to go out because their message was so radical. They'd go out into the into the streets and into the fields and thousands of people would gather, but they were able to um, get their message out through music and through songs as well, which was powerful. So yeah, I totally agree, Roma, that with every move of God, I believe there's a sound and it's important if something special is happening in your midst, then you know, being able to capture and articulate what God is doing in your midst it could bless the nations. And so I think it's so important to to consider that when when you're doing your music in, in the local context. I love that you brought that up because um, I remember Brian Johnson from Bethel Music once saying to me, we were chatting somewhere, I can't remember where we were, and I said to him, you know, what's it like to write songs for the global church? You know, what does that feel like? And he said, I don't think about it. Um, I don't think about writing for local church or writing for global church. I just write. And I, I believe that it can 
bless everything, but why wouldn't you want to write songs that touch the world is what he said. And I was like, yeah, that's right. But I think that a lot of people in their local churches, we get very consumed with the culture and what's happening in our churches, which is important, but it's not everything. Yeah. And so we often go, I'll just write or I'll just sing the songs that'll work for here. And we cut ourselves off from this unbelievable possibility that the songs we're writing for the house could actually impact nations. And it's not as big as we think is what I think. Yeah, 100%. And I think, I think there's a two-pole thing that sometimes we get caught up with just like in the local church thing, we just do covers yeah. or people's worship songs, which is great. We need to do that because it's important that we do songs that everyone can connect with. They're songs that are prophetic for the time, for the season. Um, but I think we have to create space. And in particular, if you've got people that are creative in your midst, and if there is something special happening in your midst, be confident in what God's doing and who God's brought together and um, create space to be able to write and to be able to capture what God's doing uh, through that sound in your midst as well. I think a great example in more modern times for me is Upper Room. Man, I, I was there just before all the lockdowns happened, um, late 2019, I think it was. Um, we were there, we did like a tour, awakening tour through a number of great churches and and the upper room really stood out to me in Dallas. And of course, you know, one of their songs that did go global was This Is How I Fight My Battles. You know, everyone was singing that at one stage. And I was just thinking, man, that song is so pure. And I'm sure they didn't write it with the intention that it would go all over the globe. It was just something that God was doing in their midst. And when I got to upper room, you could just tell that they really love worship. They really believe that this is how we fight our battles. You can tell how authentic that place was and how real it was. And we actually led a set of worship on one of the nights there at Upper Room, and it was just so easy to worship. Like right from the the first note, everyone's in. And it was like, wow, you guys have been stewarding worship so well. And it's interesting that this is how we fight our battles that was the, you know, the lyric line, and that's what we we're all singing. And not long after, we all faced a massive battle, uh, literally, where they were trying to shut worship down. And then, of course, you had worship movements like Sean Foyt and others that were um, that had the name "Let Us Worship" because this is how we fight our battles. So, I think that was quite prophetic in nature as well. So, um, yeah, I think that's a great example of a local church setting. And by the way, there. Are, like it's not a huge church; it's just a small church. They've got, but they've got like they they pay attention to excellence to be able to capture um, authentic grassroots worship, but they capture it really well, and they're able to release it, and people can really connect with it. So, but just a you know a, a small sort of medium sized church, but something genuine's happening in their midst. God got a hold of it and blessed the the wider church, the global church, with it. So beautiful. I love hearing that. No. I love that you touched on that this wasn't, this isn't a big church because the sound is very big. You would just assume that it's a church that's, you know, and I hope that's encouraging for people to listen to that it's not about bigness. It's about authenticity. It's about, you know, it's about the, the, the posture of our heart releasing a sound that really our goal is to impact our community, but let's not just keep it there. Let's not just sit there. And, I even want to just say, I, I love that you called the worship songs that we sing covers, right? That makes me laugh because I'm like, it's true. 
That's some of my old language from the pub days still still there, I think. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. We need those songs. I, I love it, though, because when you put it like that, it makes you realise that, um, I, I mean, I'm an avid believer, and people that listen to this podcast will know this, that we need to be writing our own songs, every church, because we have a voice and have a unique sound that the Lord is wanting to release that is very important. And it might not reach a global stage, but it doesn't matter, you know. And I like also that you touched on our voices were getting shut down in worship. I know not everyone will think that, but I've got the same belief as you that that was my biggest concern when churches shut down across the world is what's going to happen to lifting Jesus up from the earth so that all men will be drawn unto him. We can't shut the voice down. So I even was just like, well, I'm just going to go online and I'm just going to sing worship. It's going to sound raw. It's going to sound probably flat. It's going to sound here. But I just thought I can't not worship. There has to be a sound that is released. And I do think it was one of the strategies of the enemy was to shut the the voice of worship down because it is such a powerful voice force. Don't you agree? Yes, absolutely. And um, you know, it got so extreme in some places around the world, like Canada, um, Melbourne, Sydney, where they were allowing prostitution. You could go to a bottle shop, but you couldn't sing in a church. You literally, they said you can't sing in a church. So I think it became quite obvious that it was, you know, it was pretty crazy and, and demonic. And of course, you know, it's horrible. It's it's a real sickness. People, you know, people were sick, and particularly the elderly and people with um, different types of underlying um, illnesses and things like that were being impacted by it. But man, it was just such an overreach and such an extreme thing that was happening right around the world. And um, and worship is how we fight our battles. So, you know, that I think that was just so key during that time that people would, you know, really begin to worship and push back the enemy's plans. And that's why I really do love the movement of lettuce worship with Sean Floyd. I think they really led the way during that time. I know it was controversial for some, but, you know, looking now after it's all finished, um, or in some ways it's all finished, you can see the impact that Sean had. No one died during those those times. People got saved, people worshipped, and uh, I'm really grateful for people that made a stand during that time. Me too. You know, whether you love or hate what he does, I'm sure we'll get different people that have different opinions on that, but he stood up for the glory of the Lord. And there was some very powerful testimonies that have come out of what he achieved. It was incredible. And, you know, I pray that we're that kind of people in our local context that we would go, this is how we're going to fight. We're going to worship and we're going to fight. And on that note, let's bring it down to local church context, because you're not just the leader of a global worship movement. You're also a pastor of a local church. So with all that in mind, what does that look like? What does worship look like on the Sunshine Coast right now at Fire Church? Yeah, I love our worship. It's interesting. On the local church scene, I, I'm not all that involved in worship. Like I'm I'm involved in terms of um, uh, mentoring and helping helping the teams and the musicians and creating a, a, you know, a healthy space where they can be creative and do what they want to do and bring the presence and all of those things that are important to our DNA. Um, so I help facilitate space for that. And I, I'm often up there flowing sometimes in, uh, in the prophetic and um, in terms of like, you know, from the worship set into the preaching, sometimes I'll have extended worship and I'll get involved in that way. 
But yeah, it's, it's been really fun actually pushing others forward and getting them involved in, in the worship, which is great. And in more recent times, Roma, we've handed the baton to a young man named Vince over in Germany for Awakening, which has been wonderful as well. So Vince came on our American tour in 2019, and now that Germany has their base, Vince is now heading up Awakening Music and doing such a wonderful job. He's gathering a whole bunch of young people there in Germany. So it's it's been really cool being able to really see others uh, flow in their giftings as well. I love that you're raising up other people. I think that we don't do this enough and that that actually is vital to the growth of worship in our communities, that we're not just thinking about our part to play, but we're thinking about how to raise up others. You know, like most people won't know this, but you know we're at Numa Church right now yeah. and I haven't been involved in the worship there, right, which has been really hard because – I love the way that they worship. I love what they're doing. But I've been so busy raising up other people, right, that I've sort of left it sort of at the end. And we're helping out with one of our locations at the moment. And our pastor said to me the other day, he just said, I don't understand why you're traveling the world leading worship, but you're not doing it at our church. Like, what what's going on there? And I realized... Uh, partly I realized it was because I just think maybe I'd passed it, right? I'm just like, oh, maybe I'm just getting a bit old. But I've been thinking about raising up all these other people and it's been a joy to do it. Like I do not feel like I'm missing out at all, but I see this full circle happening where the Lord's going, if you concentrate on constantly raising up other people, I will position you. Like you don't retire is what I'm trying to say. It just looks different. And so now I'm seeing this full circle, but the reason why it's happened is because I didn't hold on. I didn't go, this is my gift. I have to stay here. I've got to keep hold my ground or it'll be taken from me, which I think a lot of people do. I mean, I know people that are leading worship teams that don't let anybody else lead. Like I think worship teams become very clicky. You know, there's a few people that have got it, got the goods, you know, and they're not ever thinking about, well, what about this person here? You know, I'm even remembering Joel Dowling, who has a lot to do with you guys, right? So I remember when he joined our worship team, maybe 20 years ago, he was 12 years old. He could not play guitar to save himself, right? So we put him on as second guitar and our amazing worship pastor at the time was Andrew Naylor. And we just put him on and we pretty much muted him for like a year. But the first guitarist was just like, this is how you play this chord. This is how you do this. And it was because of that that we saw him grow into this incredible, I mean, he's one of the best guitarists I know right now, one of the best uh, producers, I think, that I know in Australia, you know. And so this idea of raising up other people has got to be part of the plan. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with you right there. And yeah, I was talking with Joel just recently. Man, they, him and Ali are such great people. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's interesting if I look back at my life, when I first got saved, I wasn't, you know, I've come out of the, the music scene, but I wasn't actually involved in worship music for quite a number of years. And in hindsight, I, I feel like the Lord needed to really just kind of build a strong foundation in me. Because I associated music with 
you know, debauchery with drugs, with just a crazy lifestyle. So I kind of needed to get cleaned up first. And then it was probably around eight, literally eight or 10 years later that I got into worship, which was so interesting. And then doing all the amazing things with the awakening movement, different nations around Europe and America and Australia was so cool. And I feel like it's been recently, again, another season of just sort of pulling back a little bit, pushing others forward. But at the same time, in my secret place, there's always something happening, like songs and melodies. And so worship, you might not be on a platform for a season, but it never stops, does it? Like in, in our private life. And so I've always got that phone with me, just recording ideas and worshiping and writing lyrics. And so, um, yeah, I feel like there's something cooking and brewing in the background. I feel like the Lord's going to, again, get me to to do some more things. So. I do too. I just see songwriting all over you. Big. I know you've written lots of songs, but I, I feel like, you know what Bob Dylan said that I love? He said, songs have legs. Yes. That's the best thing. Like, I think if anyone wants to desire be anything in worship to have a real impact, I think songwriting is where it's at because yeah. that song can go where you can never go. And that's why it's so important. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I get really frustrated when churches aren't making time to write their own songs because they're too busy with all the other stuff that comes with running teams and stuff. Because I just feel like that's a key. It, it's a key to fighting battles big time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, creating space I think is important, isn't it? It's like putting it yeah. in that priority list. There's so many important things that take place in the local church context, but a space where you can come together and even equip and train people to teach them how to write songs I think is important yeah. as well. Love what you do, Roma. You create space and there's opportunity for mentorship on your platform, and it's it's awesome. We need more of that. Thanks, Daniel. Hey, can I ask you a question? Because yes. one thing I love about Fire Church and your worship teams is uh, you're not looking for perfect people. I don't see you looking for the coolest kid in the street, um, the one that's got the mega talent. Uh, what's your, what are you looking for, for healthy worship teams? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think with everything, we there's always grace and a balance with everything that we do. So let me give you an example. We we certainly have an emphasis on character before gifting when it comes to ministry, and certainly if you're leading, we we really want someone that has is. You know, they're leading in their personal lives in, in terms of they're not just worshiping when it's time to be on a platform, but it's a lifestyle. You can see that. And the fruit of their life demonstrates that as well. So we always character before anointing or character before gifting. Um, but at the same time, we are also happy to flow with giving people an opportunity that are still developing in their character. They might even be fairly new Christian. And giving people opportunity, I think, can really help people grow, especially if they're in a community of worshipers, they're being discipled together. So um, yeah, we always lead with character first. And I know our worship director on the Sunshine Coast is big on fostering and developing people. It's not just about gifts, but developing people. And sometimes that can be uh, take longer to build a great team, but in the long run, it's a healthier team. Um, and that's when you can really start to produce some really authentic amazing worship music that's pure. And I think that's the key too, is that we're creating something that's pure. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I think it 
the joy of that is that you don't have to be perfect then to join a team. You don't have to be the best singer or the got your life all together. And I think sometimes we think that. We think that the worship team or whoever's on a platform's really got to have it all together. But actually, we're all on a journey, aren't we? And I think that's the beauty. There's something about embracing the imperfectness of a person in grace without shame. You know, that takes it away from being a performance because I think that's my concern is we become very performance driven when we don't have that relational aspect, that pastoring aspect. Let me ask you another question. When awakening sort of took over, right? Like the, it just became bigger than Ben Hur, right? Which is just beautiful. And I've loved it. I've, you know, I was at the stadium the year we had it in Melbourne and it was so impacting to see what the Lord was doing in our city. Did you guys expect that? Did you have any prophetic words that was going to happen or were you all sort of taken by surprise? What, like your world must have just kind of got turned upside down with everything that was happening. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, that's a great question. I would say like from the Australian context, um, previously to the Melbourne event, we, we had seen God doing amazing things in the years leading up to Melbourne. Um, and certainly in Europe. So if we, you know, rewind back to 2015, so Melbourne was at the end of 2018, but in 2015, um, we were shocked at what God did in Nuremberg. That was the very first stadium event in Germany, in Nuremberg, which was powerful. And that was a shock. And I think it was a shock for everyone in, in Germany. Many people, you know, kind of doubted, said it's not time now and God's not ready to move like this. The church is not ready for this sort of thing. But God filled that stadium. But it wasn't just amazing to see the numbers of people like 27,000 people, which was phenomenal. I don't think that Germany had seen anything like that since the days of Billy Graham, but the purity of the worship, that was that God really marked us on that opening night where, you know, the band did a great job in terms of their set, but then something happened where it was like the peep, God and the people took over and it was this pure, worship that took place. If anyone's watching right now, maybe after this podcast, you might want to just have a look on YouTube and, and watch it. It's still available now where you could just see for literally for an hour or so, it was just spontaneous worship breaking out around the stadium with these beautiful songs that were just, and so it wasn't the worship leader leading, it was the congregation. It was the masses of people just spontaneously worshiping and it went on for, for over an hour and that really sort of marked I would say what a big part of what Awakening's about. And so we saw God move in 15. So by the time we get to 2018, you know, we're still in awe, but we kind of knew that something was happening, something special was happening. And we saw a number of lead up events in Melbourne that were where God was just moving powerfully. There was hunger really being stirred in the hearts of the Australian people as well, uh, which was so exciting. And man, I, I don't know if you know this, Raymond, but, you know, we were, you know, pretty devastated that things were shut down after that Melbourne event. And, but now we're looking at going again in 2024 and we're looking at the city of Brisbane in Australia too for the next one, which is powerful. I'm very excited about it. And yeah, very interesting timing that that happened just before we got locked down, isn't it? It's like 
Yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening in the spiritual realms we're not aware of, even as prophetic people sometimes. You just do, you just, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You were like, let's just do this event. Yeah. And you just do it. And then you're like, oh, I look back and go, wow, okay. Was there a lot of prayer? I'm assuming there is. A lot of prayer goes into these events. Yes, absolutely. I think prayer is a, is a huge key to to revival. And again, historically, you know, we talked about the sound that comes with the move of God. Um, prayer is the key in terms of the foundation, or we call it like the engine room of what we do. You don't necessarily see it on the outside, you know, the visuals are of the evangelism on the streets, the worship in the stadiums, and thousands of people gathering. It's all awesome. We love it. But behind the scenes in the engine room, it's the prayer, it's the the intercession. You know, one of my favorite memories of some of our previous events was someone like, say, a Heidi Baker, uh, and someone that we all know, she does amazing work on the missions. But what a lot of people don't know is that she would come into our event early, um, you know, uh, days before, and she would like lay out um, like pillows and just have a room where she would just pray and the team would come in and they would just intercede and pray. Or even when it wasn't like her session, she'd be laying at the back of the stage where no one can see her, just on her face, just interceding and praying. And so um, there's always that happening in the background in the lead up to it. Um, and I, I love seeing churches come together and pray too. Like we'd probably spend around a year well, we spent about a year in the lead up to 2018. Um, and a big part of the campaign was bringing people together to pray, churches together to pray, churches from different denominations and different settings to, to pray um, consistently in the lead up to the event. So, yeah, a long way of saying yes, absolutely, press key. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I often hear the Lord say to me, I didn't say my house would be a house of worship. I said it would be a house of prayer. And like as worshippers, that's got to be the first place that we go is if you're frustrated about something or you're wanting to change culture or see worship really impact nations, well, it's not even about the worship, you know, it's about prayer. It's like, let's start there. So I, I was curious to hear that. And I even wonder, I mean, did it feel for you and Ben, who we love, we love Ben, did it feel for you guys like, Something I'm thinking about, because this is where I'm at right now, is it's really easy to serve God in that underdog phase where things are really tough and you're pushing and you're striving. We're so used to that like warfare phase of like, just going to fight, going to fight, going to fight. But I'm starting to realize there's a whole other level of warfare when things are going really well. That like your private, your personal time gets pulled away from you your secret place time, like I find I'm fighting for that more than I ever have in my life is just slowing down, you know? And I wondered, did you ever, have you ever had like feelings of being overwhelmed or wow, okay, now it's really, we're in a whole different phase. How do we manage this? And what have you done to kind of keep that purity in your life? Yeah, that's a great question, Robert. Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at the book of Acts and various times in, in scripture, there's often persecution that caused the church to unify and also spread. The gospel would spread into different regions. And so, yeah, it's a different form of worship, isn't it? When you, when there's hard times, when there's 
persecution. It's, it's a different. It's it's a different way that we fight. And then there's also different types of challenges when we are having breakthrough and when there's momentum. And I think that that is certainly something that I have been navigating the last few years is that we've had a lot of breakthrough, a lot of momentum, a lot of victories, which has been wonderful. But with momentum comes more opportunities. And then it's a matter of saying, okay, what's a good idea or what's a God idea? Because I can be honest with you, in more recent times, I have felt overwhelmed with just the the weight of the responsibility that comes with all of the project that we're doing. So I'm in a season right now where I'm just praying with Mark about, okay, what are some areas that we need to prune and make sure that we're focusing our energy on what God wants us to be doing in this next season? So I kind of see it like the Lord gave me a picture of like a car with gear changes. So like, it's like we're, we're driving like a manual car. We're driving along and we're in first gear and you kind of, you're getting up to that high rev. And then it comes to a point where you need to make a, a change. It's like, okay, I now before I over rev or overdo it or feel overwhelmed, I've got to, there's like a structural change that needs to happen in the motor. So we go into second gear and then we build back up again. So I feel like that's you know in some ways a prophetic picture of what we all go through it's like we get to a certain point and then the lord wants us to adjust get to a certain point adjust so that we stay in that flow in that rhythm of grace and that we're focusing on what the lord wants us to focus on so i think that you know momentum can be amazing and bring opportunities but it also um we just need to make sure we're navigating it correctly as well so wise i'm learning what you're saying, like that whole analogy of the car is so spot on. So you can't just keep driving and have that speed in the same gear. And maybe there's people that are listening to this that feel that way. And it doesn't matter what level you are on the journey, you're feeling like, I just can't keep going the way that I'm going. I mean, I think the greatest amount personally of burnout comes from people in worship teams. You just, because they're the ones that are on every single thing, every week, probably the most critiqued, you know, like I, I'm helping out at our at one of our locations and part of my role is to oversee what's happening in the worship team. And I just can't believe how many people have opinions about stuff they don't really get, you know. I'm just being an Italian right now, but I just, I'm like, why are you, has everyone got an opinion? But anyway, thank you, Jesus. That's what church is like. But it's really easy to get burnt out, hey, and just go, I can't keep running at this pace. So if that's you and you're listening to this, I feel like the prophetic word for you is it might be time to change gears and you you need to think about what that would look like. I've done that for myself this year. You know, Dan, for me this year, we've had so much travel, probably more travel than we've ever had. I've been going away maybe every three weeks. And I, firstly, I'm surprised, didn't expect it. But also, I'm a trained extrovert, so to go and travel all the time has been really, really stretching for me. I don't desire it. I'm happy to be home baking cookies for the kids and spending time in the secret place. It's my favorite place, you know. But it was clear that the Lord was changing gears and I had to go with it. And I'm, I see the grace on it because when I go, I'm not stressed. I, I, I said to someone the other day, I feel like I get invited somewhere and then all I do is just have a front row seat to watching the Lord showing off. I'm just not like, feel like I'm doing nothing, you know? 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. So it's like this shift in gears, but then I also feel like that I can't keep running at that pace. That next year is going to look different, you know? And so success is not how many dates you have in your calendar. Success is obeying the voice of Jesus. And that's going to look different for all of us. But I think the thing that we really have to push for as worshippers is finding that sound that the Lord is singing. What is the Lord singing? What is the Lord saying? And not just going back or reverting to what has worked in the past in first gear, but actually going, what do you want now, Lord? And I think that that is going to be reflected in not only the songs we choose, but the songs we have to write. I actually think that God is challenging us to write new songs. So this is my final question to you, Dan. I'd love to know, I don't even know if you've thought about this, but I think about it all the time. And that is what kind of songs is the church needing right now? I asked Arlene this question as well in one of the podcasts and it was very, she was very wise, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are around that or what do you think's not what's wrong, but what's missing that we might need more of in worship. Do you have any thoughts around that? I do. Yeah. I think about this a lot and I have a term that I often use when people are saying, oh, we need more of this or more of this style or more of this type of lyrics. And I often say it's not either or, it's both and more. So there's a couple of scriptures that I, I point to when just talking with worship teams or with songwriters. There's one in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, that says, Don't be drunk with wine therein, which is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing spiritual songs and hymns and psalms to one another. So we need songs where we worship God, but we understand that there's this divine interaction that's taking place where we're being filled with the Spirit of God, because that's a part, songs that help us be filled with the power of God is actually going to help us in the mission for revival as well. And there's another scripture in Colossians where it's it's similar sort of language, but this time it says, the word of God dwells richly in us and we teach and admonish one another through spiritual songs and hymns and psalms. So I think we need songs where we're adoring God, we're worshiping God, pure songs to Jesus, pure songs to God, where we're allowing ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit the mission, to be bold, to be um, everything that God's calling us to be, but also words that are strong in theology, that are teaching us the ways of God. We're allowing our mind to be renewed and to live out this transformed life. So I think that's really important. And then I also think about, and one of the first books I read as a new Christian was No Compromise with Keith Green. And I feel like right now, Keith was a little bit out of the box in terms of Christian worship music. Like he wrote songs. It was almost like preaching within within the songs, you know. And I feel like that there are artists that might not necessarily fit in the current paradigm of what a worship song might look like on a Sunday morning, but there's a message in their heart. And um it's a no compromise message. And I think Keith was really kind of rebelling against the Christian music scene in terms of like it was about, you know, and it wasn't about the industry of the Christian music scene. It was about the message. It was about purity. It was about souls being saved. It was about pointing people back to Jesus. So I, I believe there's artists and, and even artists listening right now that some of your songs might not fit into that Sunday morning mold, but keep writing. I feel like that God's raising up um, unusual voices during this time. There's a guy 
that just got saved recently in America, and he's a folk singer, and his song just went to number one. He literally just got saved, and it's a song about just the hypocrisy of like the elite in the government, and it's called something like um, "Rich Man in the North of Richmond" or something like that. But anyway, he was because the song just went viral. He was invited to go on the Joe Ro- Rogan podcast. And on the Joe Rogan podcast, he basically shared his testimony about how he recently got saved and was literally reading from the Bible. And now millions of people have heard his testimony. But it was his song that got him to that platform. And it's just come out of a pure place. He's a he's someone that no one knew previous, but just put this song out on YouTube because it was so raw and authentic, people connected with it. So I feel like that God's doing something. It's not about the genre. It's not about um, necessarily about the, the type of sound or the, the setting, but it's just about connecting with what the message that God's giving you and just releasing that. I actually also feel too that um, God's going to use like hip hop and rapping. We're going to find ways to blend that in, in worship where it's going to be beautiful adoration, melodies, but also times where it's going to be powerful preaching through spoken word or rap and hip-hop and just the emerging of, of genres to bring in all, a bit like the Jesus people days where they, they worked with what the, the sound of that time was. So there's some of the things that I feel God's doing right now. I feel such an anointing on what you're saying. I'm really excited and I totally agree. I, I, I'm reminded of someone on our team actually who mainly does hip-hop and it doesn't kind of fit in church. Uh-huh. But when I listen to his music, I'm like, this stuff is good. It's really good, you know. And I believe it. I think that there's, you know, we turned worship into a genre, haven't we? Yeah. Yep. And it's not. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. And it's something that works that people are used to. And so when you start to go out of the box, it creates a little bit of, um, it takes a little bit of time for people to get used to it. And so it's a little bit of work. You have to have everyone on board, experiment to do some different things. So it's not easy to be a, a pioneer or a forerunner, but. I really believe that God's asking people in this season to break through the mold a little bit, take some chances, and um, and really go for it. Because, um, yeah, we we need to just continue to. It's not like we have to totally shut down everything that was, but just continue to experiment. And we should be the most creative people in the world. We've got the God of creation on our side, you know. So we should be, and I think we are in many ways the Christian music um, scene if you like, I think is just like better than it, than it ever was. You know, some of the stuff that's coming out globally right now is phenomenal. I love it. I love it. Dan, would you, just to end, I'd love you to pray maybe just around that. Just pray for people that are listening that maybe don't feel like they, uh, like they they just need to get out of the box. Yeah, Do totally. what God's called them to. Would you pray for them? Father, I thank you right now for every listener, every creative, every worshiper, Every musician, Father, every uh, every person from every genre, every influence, Father, that someone that just has a, a heart for you, Father, that just wants to be used by you to um, utilize their gifts for your glory. Lord, I just pray that such a spirit of uh, like a pioneering spirit to be released, to cut through um, what always was, that they would move into that next phase or that gear shift in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for opportunities, for spaces that you would even give them uh, or put the right people around them or be able to create this sound, be able to 
really flow and allow the Holy Spirit to mold the sound and the message to articulate what God's saying prophetically in this hour, in this season. For we are in the greatest days, the greatest days. The harvest is truly ripe. And we are in this season of revival right now. And it's the beginning of something amazing. The end time glory is being poured out. And we're going to see a billion, billion soul harvest. And we need message through music to come through loud and clear. We need the sound of revival right across the nations in Russia, in Ukraine, in Germany. Lord, I pray for confidence that we wouldn't just look to the Hillsong or the Bethel or the Americans, but there'd be a sound in every people group where something special is happening that we'd capture what God is doing and saying and then it would just be spread everywhere. I thank you for social media and, and the different platforms. And really, we have such a, a great opportunity and the ability right now to get the message and the sound out everywhere so we can share it with one another. I thank you, Jesus, for Roma and what she's doing, Lord God, in her heart to really see a powerful sound be released through your people, Lord God. Bless everyone that's listening right now. I pray every worship team, every church. Everyone that has a heart to see the kingdom of God advance and to see your name glorified, Jesus. I thank you, God. Amen. Amen. What a prayer. Thank you for praying that. How can people keep up to date with what's happening with Awakening, what's going to be happening in Australia, what you're doing yourself? What's the best place that they can go to? Yeah, I think social media, um, for us, it's Instagram and Facebook. Um, is probably where we're keeping people up to date um, in a consistent basis. So you can go to Daniel Hagen Ministries or um, Awakening Australia. Um, as we begin to ramp up our campaign, we'll start getting active on Instagram and, and Facebook for that as well. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, we are just so honoured and thankful that you joined us today. And we bless everything that you're doing and look forward to hearing what's happening. But thanks for being on. Thanks so much for listening to Release the Sound, a podcast on prophetic worship. If you're hungry for more, head to romawaterman.com where you can check out my book, Releasing Heaven's Song, Singing Over Your Nation for Breakthrough and Revival. It includes activations that you can use with your team or even on your own. And I've also got an online school where we have several courses on the prophetic, worship, spirituality and creativity. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. And until then, I pray that you will release the song of heaven over your family, your church, and even your nation. And I look forward to sharing with you in the next Release the Sound Prophetic Worship Podcast.